and welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob, coming to you from an undisclosed location, far from the downtown metropolis area. Now, last week on our show, if you weren't here, we're going to remind you that Rob got a call from a mysterious man who was blackmailing him and his family, but he might be his son. Meanwhile, I was fighting the town drunk, known as One-Legged Pete, over the bar bill. And he seemed to be getting the better of me, I tell you. (laughs) And now, this week's episode, Struggling Man. (laughs) That's right. That's right. We will be reviewing the 1973 album Struggling Man by reggae legend Jimmy Cliff, or as his friends call him, Jimmy Cliffy. No, they don't. They call him JC. JC. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Wait, Maybe they don't. Maybe we they don't want to be uh, getting any emails about that. Uh, so we'll just say JD. They call him JD. JD. <laughs> Jimmy Glyph. Glyph. And we will be here. We will also be having our usual cooking segment with Jimmy. Just before that, uh, Jimmy will be making something called Jamaican ganja. I wonder what that's all about. It involves uh, butter. Yeah, you soak up the oil in butter. And then you can use it in anything you want. Uh, Jamaican ganja? Yep. Nice. Be pretty yeah. strong, though, whatever you use it in, right? Extremely strong, but it, it takes about an hour for it to kick Pungent. in. Pungent. Yeah. Would yeah. be a good word. Only if you smell it. <laughs> Don't smell I it. That's a, yeah, I guess that's not a taste thing. That's a smell, isn't it? Yeah, I know my stuff. How about Jimmy Cliff? Uh, oh, yeah, Rob. I increased the size of uh, the that font. Thing. The font for this week's oh. script. Yeah, I really, I, I really, I really did increase it like quite a bit and it's freaking me out a little bit <laughs> gotta gotta get used to uh there's only five words on the screen right now yeah, where are the rest of the words it's quite a bit bigger than usual but it seems to be working okay but it is freaking me out because i expect it to be smaller but it's not it's like it's like who got on my computer and did all this who did, you kids <laughs> you know sometimes i have the, uh, used to have the cat walk across the computer and that cat would uh, press buttons that you couldn't unpress Catwalk. Yeah. You put it on the catwalk. Like, ooh, look at the models. Anyways, <laughs> the catwalk on the computer. Hey, models, get away from my computer. Man, I didn't expect. I didn't expect the show to go off the rails this quickly. I really didn't. Usually, I wait for at least fifteen minutes. As usual, though, Rob. Oh, I know. Before I get into that, uh, how was your week? I hear it was a very good week this week. There were some uh, shopping shenanigans that uh, shall not be discussed this week. And uh, so, as usual, as you know, Rob, uh, at this time it's (laughs) it's odds and ends. Last time is not don't because no, don't do that. Because you know that I have to do the other part. I know. So there is no I reason for that. In I, fact, I'm editing it out. I, 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 remember, I remember that you had to say that second part in mid-squeak. That happens all the time. Hey, you know what? At usual, Rob, at this time. At this time. It's odds and ends. Lost time. Now, see, I'm my, my timing is totally off, off because don't okay. do that shit. No more odds and ends this week. Okay. We can't do it. Hey, Rob, as usual, <laughs> at this time, it's odds and ends. Lost time is not found again. And this week on odds and ends, I want to talk about two interesting articles that I read in the last couple of weeks. And I will combine them into one big topic for today. <laughs> one big monster Godzilla topic. There's two articles, uh, you combine them, that doesn't make uh, one Well, you know article. what? You know what? They're two separate articles, but if you combine them, they actually go together. And I, I will explain. Okay. If you just give me, just, you know, just give me a fucking minute. I tell you what. No, no, hold on a second. People, can you just, can you just turn off your computer for a second? You cut? <laughs> just give me a fucking minute and I'll do it, okay? Just let me just do it and you will understand. This isn't in the contract. Okay, you can turn it on back on. Okay, thanks, people. Okay. I didn't want to. I didn't want to hear them have, uh, have, yeah, have yeah, having us having a fight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nice people do that. <laughs> so it has the articles has to do with the history of the record album and how we listen to music today. 
which would be for most people streaming. Uh, I usually think of streaming as taking a pee. <laughs> <laughs> I usually think of it as skinny dipping in a fast moving water. So uh, the first art now. This first article uh, is a little bit technical. I'm trying to not to make it technical, but it's 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 an article about the history of vinyl records, and I found it very fascinating. Uh, if you get past a lot of stuff. <laughs> Because <laughs> there's a lot of technical stuff I don't understand. But the phonograph record uh, was invented, of course, as everybody know, in, everybody knows, in 1877 by Thomas Edison. They may not know the year, but they sure knew that Thomas Edison. I hope you people knew that Thomas Edison uh, invented the phonograph record. Uh, and that sound could be both recorded and reproduced, Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, because... Uh, yeah. You can both record it on the vinyl and you can reproduce it. Forget it. So on to another vinyl. Yes. Uh, okay, okay, yeah, 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 that makes sense. Now, Edison initially used tinfoil over a grooved metal cylinder. A sound vibrated stylus, which is, of course, the needle, as we all know nowadays, would leave indents in the tinfoil. This is pretty interesting to me. Maybe not to others, but it would leave indents in the tinfoil when the cylinder was rotated, which could be played back immediately. That's pretty cool that you could actually play it back, like, boom, right away. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. My grandpa, he had like a 78 RPM uh, player that it could also record and uh, on the uh, 78 RPM discs. Yeah, you could actually record on them. Yes. Not a lot of people know that, that they actually, and they had little booths. I don't know if people know this. I don't know. The 50s or 60s. Yes, you could actually go into booths and actually record uh, like a yourself singing for four minutes actually Elvis did that Elvis did that uh he recorded his song I think uh you know I don't want to get this mistaken but I think he recorded it in the uh in the Sun Records booth or whatever and then gave it to Sam Phillips to listen to and uh so it was a common practice if you had a couple of bucks just to go in, not even then. Make a record not even right then, on the maybe spot. Maybe 50 cents. Make a record like on the spot. And then just people would do it for friends. You know, oh, listen, what is this? What I sound like and stuff like that. And so sound could be both recorded and reproduced. I said that. Later, Edison would use a hollowed wax cylinder instead of tinfoil. I find this kind of fascinating. And then we had the term gramophone was coined by, as we all know, Emil Berliner, who oh, yeah. everybody's going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Emil, he was yeah, yeah, yeah. he was a good guy, whose system played <laughs> lateral cut disc records. In 1889, Berliner's discs were first marketed in Europe. The discs were around five inches in diameter and were played primarily as toys or for curiosity due to the obvious poor sound quality. Uh... And then it gets into a lot of crap. I just want to point out the interesting thing about Edison recording on both wax and aluminum foil. Those don't seem like the most durable of mediums. No. I th- Well, it was experimenting, I think. Uh, experimenting mm-hmm. to see, well, does this work? Well, if this works, let's see if we can get it better. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can't go into people's this minds 130, 40 years ago. But I'm just going to say that uh, it, it was, I bet you inventors like Thomas Edison were just seeing, hey, does this work? Oh, this works. Now, how can we use something that's a little bit more durable and stuff like so you're that? So you're saying it was still part of the experimentation. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll cut you some slack. Now, initially, the discs that were involved in making phonographs were composed of zinc. I did not know that. They were zinc, which were covered in a thin layer of a compound of beeswax. You know how somebody says, it's none of your beeswax? Yeah. Well, that's where the term came from. <laughs> uh, please, please don't turn to the gardening show. It gets better, okay? Now, this was then etched by a vibrating stylus, making, marking a groove on the disc. The disc would then be submerged. I find this interesting. Submerged in chromic acid allowing the previously imprinted groove to be played. So you actually put it in acid to make those grooves. Okay. It's, I don't know. It, sounds, it seems to me like it hardens it or something. Well, that's why later the discs <clears throat> would be created from a, a, a shellac compound. 
Okay. Which continued to be used until the 78 RPM format was abandoned in the 1950s. That's why these 78s, of course, are so uh, rare. Rare. And, and that's why they had to spin so fast. They weren't a very accurate recording medium. Bingo, Ringo. Mm. And as, as this took over, different sizes were starting to create. Now that they knew what the discs were going to be, what it's going to be made of, blah, blah, blah. Different sizes were created to adapt longer playing times. The, in, this is a, in 1901, the 10-inch disc was introduced, which allowed three to four minutes of playing time compared to a cylinder, which we talked earlier, is two minutes. Okay. It's interesting. In 1901, you could play four minutes, three four minutes tops. Imagine having to build a shelf to store your cylinders. Yeah. Huh. Like cans. Okay, we're not going to get into the V discs that were used in the war, uh, 78 RPMs. That's that. That's that's uh, that's not. So throughout the 20th century, vinyl was the go-to source for music reproduction, dominating the market for an entire century, from basically 1948 uh, into well, basically, actually, uh, we're talking about you're listening to everything in the 20th century almost until the very end with some form of a record you know sometimes it was like the shellac that was 10 inches and played three to four minutes but it was always played on vinyl okay right and then of course in 1948 when they had the long playing you could now you had like you could fit good sounding music on 40 minutes 20 minutes aside 20 minutes aside yeah now that all changed a little bit they pretty much dominated the force the 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 now that everybody's asleep, I can talk how I want. It was it was only when Philips cassette was released in 1962 that vinyl had its first whiff of a real competitor, the cassette. Now the digital equivalent was a portable contender that could rewind, fast forward, play, pause, and stop with a touch of a button. You know those things that they put around there thing and then they stop it and you guys can't see what I'm doing but you put it around your head and it used to be a portable uh, tape player okay oh the, do you the, know I what they would the old, use uh, the boom boxes but the, oh uh, no when no. they do in interviews like in the old movies and they'd have that thing around there they have a little recorder around their neck and you go hey like, I seem to recall those always being like little reel to reel jobbies but they started off as reel to reel which they did call tape decks anyways but it was reel to reel okay. tapes and then it became cassettes, and then, you know, screw you. Uh, 1974. I know this is boring, but it's not to me, so screw you. 1974 <laughs> offered a glimpse into tomorrow's world-style future when, where physical records would succumb to technology as Philips began developing the compact disc. The year, the year 1974 marked a milestone in music reproduction representing what would become the beginning of what we now call the, the digital, digital download. Well, I tell you, the 74, I didn't see compact discs come out till about 86. In the Well, just because you invented it in 1974 doesn't come out for like 10 years after. 12 you know, years? Uh, screw you. I think and someone then, was napping. Keep in going. 1988, CD sales for the first time outnumbered vinyl, for, like I said, for the first time. And, and according to the Recording Industry Association of America, CD sales doubled those of vinyl in 1988, selling 150 million copies compared to vinyl 72. Now, as you know, I have no qualms with CDs as far as their invention is concerned because CDs gave you so much more music so that you could put on a person's entire catalog and spend four discs worth of spend for four discs of, of material like you couldn't do that like you just couldn't release 15 records of people's oh yeah, yeah i know. remember um the, the parents had some box sets yeah of, uh, that did. they are heavy so there were definite yeah they were <laughs> they there were some definite advantage just like anything there were some definite advantages to cds uh, and there were some definite disadvantages to CDs. One, of course, was the ab abolition of the beautiful album cover. Yeah. And uh, and the album artwork. I remember and the uh, the first salesmanship myth where uh, 
they last forever. Yeah, I, I still remember that. I still remember that like it was yesterday. Like that was the thing. Like you, they actually said like you could like drop it from a, a hundred story building and you could still play it. They never scratch. And that they, you know, it sounded incredible, and it didn't be just be not because of the of the way it was, was because they used like, oh, you know what? It sounds so good. I guess we can use fourth generation masters. And it was like, <laughs> no, man, like you can't. There was a lot of fuck ups. When the CD was was first commercialized, a lot of fuck ups. In fact, it never overcame those fuck ups. If they would have used first generation masters right from the beginning, uh, compact discs would definitely have a, a a different history behind it. But they screwed up so many ways in the beginning. They never really recovered. They gave this big hoopla and lied about a few things and uh, they got lazy. And that is why we come to the vinyl revival is because people were going like, this sounds cold and this doesn't sound, you know, lively. And it's like, yeah, because it sounds dull because you're using third generation copies for your CDs. And also, we they, we're getting into the whole topic which we talked about about using digital which started in the late 80s and has never unfortunately come back digital is the big reason why uh cds didn't sound good because the analog sounds warm and and digital does not uh so we've always i said on the show always buy vinyl that was made up until 1988 or so yep. and then uh buy cds because the the vinyl that you're buying if it's if it's made digitally like they all are nowadays except for some <laughs> bands trying try and use analog tapes that they can find tape, it's all going to sound the same except you know the, but the difference is of course you know it's nice to have the big albums but if you want to pay 40 bucks for some you know they charge 40 bucks i remember when they yeah. charged six dollars for yeah. the record and now they charge Eight like 39 and then they got up to about 12 well now they still kind of sound they still sell cds for 14 dollars, and you know and they sell records for 35 what do you think i'm gonna buy you know like i still have about the same amount of money as i did when i was 14 <laughs> so what do you think i'm gonna buy um you're going to go uh, download uh, digitally on the, uh, the internet. But this, this evolves into the second article that I read, which is what do we listen to nowadays? Now, nowadays, of course, we listen to, most people listen to streaming. Uh, if, and, and they're not mm -hmm. listening to physical music. And there's an article in The Atlantic, which was very good. And it brought up that you know... If you're storing everything on like Spotify or Deezer or Apple Music, <laughs> you know what? Who knows if they're going to be around in 20 years? <laughs> Who knows what may come up? And all these people, and I've had, I've had my nephew, I've had two of my nephews laugh at me for having all the physical media I have. And I say, you'll see. You'll see because this article tells you that all that stuff you stored... It can be gone just like that. That's a concern I have with the growing disappearance of books. Mm -hmm. The fact that books are not being um, printed as much and are disappearing. Uh, if the internet goes down for some reason, we are going to have a generation of But idiots. it's not so much it going down. It's, it's a matter of companies are companies, right? And one of the things, and this, one of the things is that Hey, 20 years from now, who says Spotify is going to be huge like it is now? No. And who says they don't shut down and then everything you have on Spotify is gone? Just like that. Because you, and I'm talking about not Rob, but you, you people out there who have everything because you refuse to buy physical media. You have everything stored on Spotify. You lose every song that you decided to keep and save. It's all gone. Now, I hardly save anything. When I use, I use this for the show. I use Spotify. And for the albums I like to listen to. But I would never save anything. Because if I really want something, I actually will buy it. I will buy it physically. I will not get something. Because I don't, I, I totally agree with this article. Which just came out last week. That and and another thing, I this is very interesting to me. 
I was looking for a couple of songs just just out of interest. And people don't know that every song has to be bought by Spotify or Deezer or whatever. So they may, they have decided at various times, you know, we're not going to buy that song. So you might get a record that you want to listen to on Spotify and two songs aren't on there. They're blacked out. There were, there were a couple of songs I found very, very popular songs, which you couldn't even listen to. That's going to happen more and more if, if trouble times come <laughs> to these <laughs> streaming companies. I'm, I'm just warning you people, and it's not my warning. It's, all, it's the warning from the people who predict these things in the financial, financial journals that streaming, even though it's the bee's knees now, May may go the way of the CD, which is not dead, but people say, oh, nobody buys CDs anymore. I do. Because I don't trust storing everything. First of all, I don't want a company owning my stuff. Yeah. I got a bunch of albums, but they're downloaded onto a, um, uh, an external hard drive. Right. I have them. That's what they say to do. They say if you do have all your stuff on Spotify download everything onto hard drive because if you want to keep all that stuff uh that's the way to do it because you won't lose it oh yeah they can also change the rules and you could have like you could have like yeah that's the thing you could have like 50 15 let's say you have 1500 songs right now what happens if all of a sudden they decide that they don't want to copyright half those songs you just lose them overnight boom all of a sudden they're blacked out and you can't play them now this is the reality and that's why I've never been a, I've been a fan of streaming as far as I get to hear the albums that I've always wanted to yeah, hear but you could can never buy. Yeah, you hear it without uh, having to track it down. There's stuff I've been looking for for years and haven't found. Exactly. Now that's why I love as a fan, I love streaming and I hate streaming cuz the artists who sweat over it make literally pennies off of it which is so wrong and the producers make pennies off of it everybody may everybody in the music industry except the big wigs and the companies like spotify they make money off it but the the people who actually <laughs> made it don't really make very little money off it that part i hate and the second part i hate is uh just the fact that it could be gone like uh i've never trusted anything that I want it in my hands, and I want it to be mine. I want the police to say, hey, you got robbed? That's your stuff. So, you know, we'll give you the money for it. You could re, you can, you know, your insurance company can, you can buy all those stuff back. You don't do that when you don't have your real ownership of it. You know, if Spotify goes under, they're not going to say, oh, sorry. Yeah, we'll give you all your songs back. Sorry, yeah, I think I found about uh, all about Amazon, um, um, the, the online books where uh, you don't actually own them. You can that's the same money thing with them. the books and with the movies. If you go to Amazon and want to watch a movie, you don't own that movie. You may own that movie, but who knows if you own that movie twenty years from now, right? If you actually buy the movie on Amazon for I don't know what it is, fifteen bucks. I've never actually owned a movie unless it's physical. To be honest with you, and. The same thing very much applies, as Rob said, the books. Mm. Um, books, I think, have the highest chance of survival in a digital form. Just because it's the book dealers that are really, they're doing the half and half. They're really in charge of like Kindle and all that stuff. So they're the ones that are safest, but you really, it's, um, I don't know, you should always just read books. And I don't think books will ever die. Uh, if you want, if you want, if you want to make a symbolic symbol like burning something, it's pretty hard to burn a file and say, "Hey!" Can you imagine <laughs> Nazi Germany? Everybody burning well, files. <laughs> I tell you, I went into some of the gas stations and tried to to, to find a map of the city uh, the past uh, few years, and uh, they don't. Uh, paper maps are hard to find; they're disappearing. No, it's uh, a lot of things like like that that are paper are disappearing, and you know what? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's, uh, there will be a, I know, I know there will be a day reckoning when instead of six or seven of these streaming companies, there's just going to be a couple and then they're going to decide, you know what, because there will be a day <laughs> and it will be soon when the artists 
will get in the courts what they deserve. And then the, the streaming companies are going to start not making as much money. And then gradually they're going to be not making any money. And then they're going to say, hey, you know what? Let's cut half of our catalog. Can't Let's cut it. the stuff that from the 70s and the 80s. All the stuff nobody listens to. That the kids don't listen to. Just keep and the recent stuff. It goes out of electronic print. I can understand when they stop printing issues of the uh, the vinyl albums. It's like, okay, the last printing was 78 and you got to get one somewhere. You got it. That. But at least you got those it. See when you physically. St- that's exactly the point. When you stop <laughs> printing a vinyl album, like it still exists. It still exists. It's physical, which means you may have to pay a sweet amount of money to get it but it's still there when it's it's a digital uh piece of, of music when it's gone it's gone and that's the fact and i'm warning you it's happening it will happen i don't know when but i just know that i've always thought that everything goes around in circles just like the vinyl record which was so dead in 1992. Yeah. In 1992, you couldn't, there weren't even stores that, that specialized in vinyl. It was hard to get vinyl. Oh, we did that last uh, recording in 89 uh, on vinyl. I think that was about the time they were saying uh, it, was, it was. Yeah, dead. we had one of the last records. They said that they actually was strictly vinyl. And they thought at that time vinyl was, uh, was out. It was, it was, yeah, uh, and we finished. wanted, but we wanted to actually have a record. Yeah, because that's I, what we grew up listening to. Damn yeah, it, <laughs> we wanted, and I'm glad I did it. I'm glad because yes. I wanted just to have a record like like the Stones did and the Who, and I just wanted to have that. And I knew it was changing, but I didn't care. Like I just wanted to have it, and it was more expensive because the times were changing pretty soon. And we did the next album, like all the rest two of them years later. CDs, it was but... dirt cheap to do, but kind of looked crappy it was small and it was like oh yeah it wasn't as big as and impressive as the uh, times always the change album. and sometimes times change back and physical media will come back i get a lot of flack from a lot of idiotic people who've grown up yeah. but not idiotic they've grown up with nothing but streaming services yeah they laugh at me and it's, i say you know what it's a complacency that things will always be this way yeah <laughs> and uh, I'll be having the last laugh. So that was that's that's my odds and ends for today. I I hope you liked it. I know it was a little bit uh, talky and a little bit descriptive, but uh, it was an important subject for me personally. So I wanted to talk about it. and for you guys, just in case you think you should you know store everything and just listen to streaming music and not buy physical media, it's gonna. Uh, if, if you're a younger fellow in your 30s, it's going to bite you in the bum. If you're like 65, maybe, it may not affect you in the end. Uh, because by the time this actually happens, you could be singing to the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> you could be attending live Hendrix concerts. <laughs> <laughs> Just like me and Rob. Um, I don't know if we have time. I don't know, Rob, 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 Rob. We don't have time. We're always, yeah, we got time. Okay, we're going to do this real quick. Although it's not, not really a quick thing I want to do, but we'll see. Yeah, we're going to go over time. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care. Uh, yeah, because we don't care. Uh, I'm, going to do one, I'm going to do one of my top 30 songs of all time. Songs that I think are classics, magnificent, brilliant songs that almost defy description, even though I will describe them. <laughs> Thank you. And should be played every day. And these are songs that I would actually play every day if they were the only 30 songs I had. because And I would never get bored of them. Now this week, this week's a very interesting selection, Rob. This week we are going to talk about a song that is maybe, because I don't know, I'm not, I haven't calculated it. But it is maybe the shortest song in length in my list. And maybe the most least least known of all my choices and it's by one of my favorites underrated definitely under the radar but by canadian singer songwriter valdi and the song is simply called a good song which is not a great title for a song i have to admit that but uh because it's not a it's not, it doesn't mean, I got a good song. You guys want to hear it? It's not like, it's not about that. Uh, I don't even know if Rob, Rob, have you heard this song? 
No, I think Valdi. Did he do um, um, plenty of rock and roll song? Yeah, is that him? Okay, yeah. okay. Valdi, I'm going to tell you right now. Valdi mm. and I hate, as Rob knows and Rob does too. Mm. I hate, hate, hate. As and it's just my preference because I'm a, a person who collects records or listens to records that I give no credence to greatest hits records. No credence yeah, almost yeah, whatsoever. Yeah. They're, a, they're a serious record listener's nightmare. <laughs> I, I bought a David Bowie uh, reissue that had the best music value thing up on the uh, the top right-hand corner, and I got no end of flack for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, and if you have friends, if, if you have friends that are kind of serious <laughs> listeners too, they will never let you live that down. <laughs> Uh, but I, one of my favorite records of all, I swear to God, one of my favorite records is the Greatest Hits albums. It's Valdi's Greatest Hits. It is brilliant. He is such a good songwriter, and he really gets me. He really gets to me. He really does. And it's like 11 songs, and you can look it up on Spotify or whatever you want to do. I can't remember what it's titled, uh, Valdi's Greatest or whatever. There's not very many Valdi yeah. records out How many? on Spotify, so you won't have a hard time finding it. I listen, I swear to God, Rob, I listen to that thing probably once every three months continuously, like one every three months, then the next few months, because I'm drawn to this album because his songwriting, his singing, his, it's both can be very joyful and extremely sad. It really gets to me. It just gets to me, like his music does. And I've always thought before, because I actually haven't heard a good song, <laughs> his thing called a good song, um, until about four years ago. And I was going through a breakup, a very bad breakup. And I, when I tell you the lyrics, I'll tell you, it got to me because it was if I wrote that song. And that's the quality that Valdi has, is that he puts you in a, in a situation where you feel exactly like the lyrics like you could have wrote those lyrics just like with uh play me a rock and roll song i i so imagine being that guy up there singing folk songs and getting booed <laughs> he can put you in that situation like yeah. he can just and it's that's also i think one of the most perfect canadian songs of all time just a magnificent song as with, I think, many of his songs are. And some of them get dismissed as little ditties because they're only a couple of minutes long. Or sometimes I, I just find uh, his greatest hits albums, his greatest hits album, like all his singles to be timeless. I really do. And I really recommend, if you like just good songwriting, to listen to his greatest hits album. And a good song is only, like I said, two minutes. I don't know if I said this. Maybe I forgot. It's only two minutes and nine seconds long. But it says everything and more in those two minutes and nine seconds than most songs I've ever heard over five minutes can say. And that has to do a lot with me personally because I, I just feel that this, this song just says he just has a way of tapping into to the reality of a situation. Now, Valdi comes from... Uh, born in Ontario, uh, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and has been recording, still around and recording. Almost none of his records are in print, which is a shame. I think more of a singles artist than a, uh, an album artist, and that probably has something to do with it. He was one of those hippies playing music and starting music in 1973 with his albums and, uh, you know, selling them to the hippies and, uh, you know, people off the grid type of thing. But not really selling to the mainstream except his songs. People loved his singles, you know, but didn't really buy his albums. Yeah, my, brother, my brother did buy a Valdi album called Hot Rocks in 1978, which was actually a really good album. And uh, unfortunately, again, like all Valdi albums are impossible to find. And my brother only had it for two weeks. I don't think he liked Valdi. <laughs> a little was, bit too folky for him. Yeah, I'm punk rock. He's folk. It doesn't mix. <laughs> you were going to say something about Valdi? Oh, uh, yeah. I never actually... I think I played Valdi before ever hearing him. Like in some of the basement jams. And then uh, I don't think I've ever heard him on the radio except uh, maybe in the past uh, five or ten years, actually. I've heard uh, some radio stations playing Yeah, radio stations They didn't around touch him here at the time. playing him lots. Yeah. And they didn't, uh, he wasn't, he's actually probably bigger now in retrospect than he was at the time. A lot of time they would play his songs that were just released and then, you know, then they move on. But now almost his whole greatest hits 
are songs you hear on the radio. Literally, <laughs> 10 out of the 12 songs are played regularly on oldies radio. And it's just, I hear it all the time. And I hope and he's every, getting his royalties. Every time I hear this song, and I hear it quite a bit, I play this song constantly. I really do. And it just it just gets me because it's me. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you some of the lyrics. It's only two minutes and five seconds long. I swear it's like six minutes long because it just feels like it says so much. Like he's saying so much more. Yeah. yeah. He And I am not doing this justice because he sings in, incredibly every man type. But I mean that in the best way. Like he's not a Freddie Mercury, but he sings like... Uh, from the heart folk artist. Yeah, I like So it, I am not giving these lyrics justice by reciting them, but I'm going to recite them anyways so that you know what I'm talking about. And the song, uh, he starts off, and it's basically a song about a, a guy who's explaining to his girlfriend who has picked somebody else that this is what I am. This is what I am. I'm not perfect, but I'm the best for you. And he basically says, I am not a free man. But neither am I chained. I love every I love every line of this song. I am not a wise man, but neither am I rearranged. I am not a new man, but neither am I old. I am not a rich man, but I cannot be sold. I am one. You are another. I have a family. You have a mother. I am not a good man, but neither am I cruel. I love that line. <laughs> I'm sorry, this gets me emotional because I find this extremely poetic and extremely moving and extremely what I would say to somebody, like in a conversation. And, and then the last verse is, I am not a learned man, learned man, but neither am I a fool. I am not an ordinary man, but neither am I strange. And this, this is the kicker. This is the, this is the line which really gets me because he, after he's been saying this for like almost two minutes, he goes, I am not your man, but that can all be changed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am not your man, but, but that can all be changed. And uh, there's hope at the end. He's telling like, you know what? You're picking some guy and you don't understand me, but you know what? I'm still working. I'm still, I'm still working at this and it's not over with. And this song, I don't know, it just kills me. <laughs> what did you think when you heard those, those lyrics? I guess, Honestly, uh, I don't want you just to pander good to poetry, me. but uh, I definitely I need to hear it with the song. Yeah, when you hear it with the song impacts. and him singing it in that very monotone but human voice, it just it gets to you. But I just love the words. I love, I, like, I wish I could write something like, I am not a learned man, but neither am I a fool. You know, like, like it's simple. But it says everything that you could say in a, in a paragraph, basically, in just two lines. And that's why I think that this song is most definitely in my top 30, if not in my top 15 at least. And I know many people have not heard this song who are listening, if any. But listen to it. It's uh, Valdi as an artist. And as in this song, uh, has to be listened to. It's one of the few artists that I'm going to pick because most of the people have heard these songs that I picked or have heard of them. Yeah, they're more international. Right. This is something that I say you have to listen to this because it, uh, it only, if you go, even if you're going to listen to the song, it only costs you two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to go, hard. we're going to go right into our reggae selection this week. We're still in reggae week. We're still doing reggae, and uh, we're going to do the incomparable uh, Jimmy Cliff. And uh, another, imported, uh, another important artist to review uh, in reggae music of the 1970s. It, he is the only, the second reggae artist, along with Bob Marley, to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, only two artists in the whole rock and roll hall from reggae music. <laughs> and he's one of them, the great Jimmy Cliff. And the album we are reviewing tonight is his 1973 album, Struggling Man, or as I call it, Rob's Life. <laughs> yeah, I'm the struggling man, my friends. Who am I struggling against? Who am I not struggling against? 
Um, this album was recorded right after, very soon after his mentor, Leslie Kong in Jamaica, passed away, unfortunately, in a uh, uh, heart attack. Yeah, a heart attack. And uh, if anybody of you seen the fantastic uh, movie, The Harder They Come, which I just saw a year and a half ago for the first time. Thank I God. haven't seen it. I've heard about it's it. It's a great, great movie. A lot grittier than I thought it was. <laughs> I had no idea what Harder They Come was like. I just knew it was a great movie for years and years and years, and I've never had a chance to watch it. I thought it'd be like a musical in Jamaica with, with some dramatic scenes, but it was pretty heavy. It was pretty heavy, man. And Jimmy Cliff was great in it. But Leslie Kong appears in it, and this he died very soon after the movie was done. And he was an Oriental fellow, so you'll know him from the way he plays behind the, the uh, board in one of the very short scenes where Jimmy Cliff is re is recording a song in the movie. And Jimmy just, I mean, it, Leslie Kong found him at like 14 years old and said, I got to, you know, I'm going to sign this guy. This kid is really good. He's going to be fantastic. They recorded a bunch of great ska songs and he became very popular in Jamaica in the 70s. And then, uh, you know, him and Jimmy were really close. And then he did The Harder They Come. And he had already, you know, done Many Rivers to Cross. He had done the song Vietnam, which Bob Dylan called the greatest protest song ever, written by Jimmy Cliff. Um, lots, of others, lots of other songs. Of course, you know all the songs by uh, From the Harder They Fall, which is the first big international reggae album. Or the first reggae album to hit, I should say, the first reggae album to hit internationally. And still one of the best-selling reggae albums of all time. Leslie Kong died and Jimmy Cliff's career never has really recovered. Uh, he's never really had that kind of quality. Although, of course, you can't keep a great artist down. He's has had his moments over the last 45 or so years. I mean, Jimmy Cliff is Jimmy Cliff. But uh, he just never really retained that, that just that level of quality that he had. Something a little of Jimmy Cliff went, went when Leslie Kong died. A little bit of his artistry went. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, so. And it's also important to note that Harder They Come was released, I think, in England in 1972. But it wasn't released in North America until 1974. Uh, so Jimmy Cliff was not popular in North America until 1974, 1975. He made an appearance on like the 12th episode of Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And I remember that. I, I seen it. And, and he was still doing the two songs from, um, if, I, if my recollection is, is right. I didn't check it because... I got so many things to check. I'm busy, man. I've been walking all day. How many tabs did I have today, Rob? I had like seven tabs of stuff that I had to talk about. but And I really wanted to check. But I think he still did songs from The Harder They Come because that was just coming, you know, just being really played. Starting to gain popularity in North America. So even in 1975, he was just starting to become popular instead of everywhere else in the biggest market, which is North America. And, but that was already kind of, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know enough about Jimmy Cliff to, to talk about 1975 onwards. I really don't. Although I loved him in the movie. I loved him in Club Paradise. He's such a good actor, Jimmy Cliff. He was so good in Club Paradise with Robin Williams. A movie which I think is good. Uh, every critic slammed the movie. It's, I think it's a very funny movie. And Jimmy Cliff is great in it. Peter O'Toole is in that movie too. And uh, Rick Moranis is in the movie. Great. You've never seen Club Paradise? I don't think so. Oh, it's where it's uh, Robin Williams is a firefighter in Chicago and he's had enough. So he becomes this uh, director of this island in the Caribbean, the Caribbean. And, and Club Paradise. And it's just a very funny and touching movie. And uh, I really liked it. Anyways, Jimmy Cliff is you really You like it. it. Screw you. Yeah. And I, you know, Jimmy Cliff is different. Jimmy Cliff is... Uh, just like Peter Tosh is a little bit different from Bob Marley. Jimmy Cliff, he doesn't sing in that uh, heavy accent. He doesn't have a heavy accent. He yeah, that's what I was expecting. He was a, he's <laughs> he's uh, more of a singer um, uh, in a artistic sense than uh, you know Peter Tosh or Bob Marley. Uh, also, doesn't have the grittiness 
you know, the voice, the, interne- the uh, intonation I, yeah, that be- the other two have? Before I, I heard the album, I was expecting to be like uh, the hit over the head with a puff of marijuana smoke by yeah. some outlaw Rastafarian. And uh, this guy is uh, intelligent and uh, well-spoken and uh, doesn't sing in that uh, the wild style. No, in fact, he doesn't use any Jamaican vernacular. Uh, in his songs, he doesn't at all. Maybe a little hint, but uh, maybe a little hint, but not, only in his voice, not in his yes. words. His words are Anglo anglicized, right? Yeah. They're all they're all mainly, and of course, he does. He has done a lot of his recording in Britain and the states, and he's. Um, I hate to say more cultured because that's. I don't mean to be racist, but he doesn't sound as you know. You associate a certain like yeah. Yeah, Reggae. basically Bob Marley and Peter Is Tosh. a rebellious music. Rebellious music about the people in Jamaica. And most of the time, they live there. Yeah. Uh, and Jimmy Cliff was a person who lived in Britain. He lived in America for a long time. He was very international. And he talked about international issues. He got around a bit. Yeah, and uh, so there's a definite difference between those two and Jimmy Cliff. Uh, definitely, of course, when you get to that point, a little bit of a watered down. It's not as, it's yeah, more popish yeah. in some instances mm-hmm. than reggae. Um, but that's also his appeal. Uh, that's what he wants to do. There's nothing wrong with that. Yes, and I found it to be um, uh, more up. Like more uh, up. there were times when I uh, caught myself almost dancing. <laughs> Did you dance? <laughs> no, I did not dance. The only time I ever dance is if work is canceled and it's not my fault. <laughs> and now that I'm not working, no dance. Not my fault. <laughs> uh, this album is, is, is done in like uh, halves. One, one, one half, uh, side A is reggae. Yep. Uh, and the second half is uh, More soul, pop, soul, R&D, gospel. A bit of gospel. Uh, with no reggae. Uh, but the interesting thing is it's also doubled in that the half of the album is older songs and half of the album is new songs. And just like the title says, Struggling Man, he was struggling after the death of Leslie Kong. This was pretty much one of the first albums, if the, not the first album he did after Leslie Kong. So that's why you get songs like Struggling Man and and songs Better, that, uh, yeah, you know, just just... Just songs trying to put on a good Better face. Better days are coming. Better days are coming because they're pretty shitty now, I'm telling you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, uh, so we're going to get to the album in general now. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's a perplexing album to me. It's perplexing to me because there's something I hear in it, but I just don't think it's all there. And it does sound a little bit of a mishmash to me. Like I like the song. Like I, there's some things about songs. Like I like the I like struggling man. I like the, the 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 topic of struggling man about struggling, and I like how the music stops. Dun 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 dun. dun. Yeah, like and most <laughs> reggae music doesn't do that. They just keep on with the groove. Yeah, it kind of shows again his Anglo uh, roots. Uh, overseeing well, his side to really surprise me. It really caught me off guard. Like I say, this was not what I was expecting. Uh, you thought it would be rougher, a little bit, yeah, yeah angrier and rougher. And yeah. uh, you know, even as much as he was like talking about some serious things uh, in the first side, doing the reggae, I just uh, that major key and uh, doing the offbeat with the piano rather than the guitar. Uh, it, it wasn't um, hit you over the head kind of. It was more um, uh, explaining. Uh, oh, it was much smoother. Yeah, yeah much was... smoother, both in music and in and in the topics of the lyrics. Yeah, it was. Uh, they said the same things, but without uh, the anger. Yes, I definitely, <laughs> definitely agree with that. That's pretty much how you can explain this album in Jimmy Cliff's career. It's not batting you over the head. And there's nothing wrong with batting you over the head music like Peter Tosh. Peter Tosh is great. He's a legend. Yeah, Bob Marley, yeah, exactly. of course, is bigger than a legend. He is right there at the top of Mount Rushmore with all the, the greats. <laughs> but it's just another point of view and it's great to have different point of views in, in certain music, in every music. It's great yes. to have there. You don't want to all talk about the same things and play the same or type of music. Or sound the same. Or, or sound yeah. the same. Exactly. So, uh, I just want to, before I get into I more about the album. I just want to say that uh, as strident as Rastafarians as the Bob Marley and the Whalers were, Peter Tosh, Bunny Whaler, um, 
Jimmy Cliff was raised Christian, <laughs> uh, became very shortly, for a very short time, a Rastafarian, uh, then switched to Islam, then uh, took no denomination whatsoever. So he's a, he calls himself a person of the world. He takes all religions. He uh, takes no sides in politics. He just wants right. He says, I want what's right to be done right. And I, I know what's right and wrong. I, I love his worldview. <laughs> I love his religious view too. I, go with the, I just go with religion where you do good to mankind. And I go with the politics where you do the right thing. And I don't go for the politics where you do the wrong thing against the people. You know what that requires, though? He has to think and judge for himself. That's right. Huh. That's right. He calls himself a person of the world. And uh, I admire Jimmy Cliff so much as a person. He's a, he's, a, he's a great person. We're not talking about the person here. We're talking about the music. Um, some of the songs are a little bit too long. I go into five minutes and basically they're repeating some of the stuff. A Better Days Are Coming is a good example of that. Sooner or later is a... I found the reggae songs on side one nice, but not hard hitting and kind of out of my comfort zone. I found on repeated listens, uh, Struggling Man, Better Days Are Coming, and Sooner or Later, those three songs. Um, uh, I, was, I was trying to pay attention to all the songs and make notes on each of them. But the, the two of them there, uh, when you're young in those uh, good, good old days, those ones kind of passed me by every time with like, oh, was that on? Yeah, those good, those good, good old days, uh, which uh, I very much feel was a song about Interesting uh, Leslie Kong. I like the lyrics. And I just, I don't know, it just, it, it, it just didn't. didn't me musically. As, uh, yeah, I just didn't. It may be, if not the weakest song, the second weakest song. It just didn't do anything for me. Uh, it just felt extremely strained. Nothing to cling on to. And I feel the same about when you're young. I didn't. I like the other song that you recommended, actually, off on the first side. You know, Bear Days are Coming, and Sooner or Later, yeah. I liked a lot. And, of course, Struggling Man is, is one of the highlights of the album. When we get into side two, and this kind of shows my bias towards, again, Anglo music instead <laughs> of the Jamaican music. But all of side two, you, st you know, you first he does a, a Dave Mason song, which is the first song on the album, which is a cover. Uh, can't Stop Worrying, Can't Stop Loving You, which is a soul song, slow soul song, which is very nice. I really yes, like that. It is 3-4, and it starts out, uh, as near as I could tell, with just the drums playing that uh, really simple beat. And then uh, they, they kind of each uh, progression, it layers a bit, and there's a big guitar added on, and you're in the bass uh, playing whole notes, and the drums pick it up a bit. And uh, it never builds to a great big, huge uh, rollicking clay. It just build slowly it just builds slowly it's just it, it, it's it's a beautiful sounding song it, it is a beautiful sounding song and it, it is one of the definite highlights uh along with struggling man of the album i really like it did not like let's seize time let's seize time let's seize the time i'm sorry is uh is a gospel song very much rooted in gospel and it just seems like there's no heart in this song at all it seems like you just because you have a gospel flavor to it doesn't mean it's going to raise your spirits. And this song, for some reason, because of the lyrics, because of the performance, just did nothing for me. Um, and there's another one in 3-4, which is kind of ballady. And uh, I think of the two songs, yeah, definitely the first one. Then we got a couple of real interesting... Actually, the last three songs are, to me, the most fascinating songs on the Come record. Come on, people, is gospel. Uh, the, the backup vocals and the Come contest so matter. catchy. It's so damn catchy. And um, is that him singing on all these songs? On the yeah, there were some songs. Because his voice sounds different. Uh, I was listening to the second side. First side, I knew it was all him. Second side, uh, the, the songs were playing, and I didn't know which was him or if there were other members of the band singing. There were some of them. There was a couple when he would start singing the song. This is the great voice of Jimmy Cliff is that I thought it was a woman. Yes. <laughs> but it's not. It's all Jimmy Cliff. It wasn't a woman's voice, but it was a higher register. Yeah. You're like, uh, you don't know. No, I actually thought, I actually <laughs> thought for the first two lines or so, I thought, did he get a woman to, to sing this first verse? And then I listened and said, no, that's just Jimmy Cliff. 
with his incredible voice. And um, <laughs> he's good. <laughs> he's good. He is a good singer. Come on, people. I I kind of like the Come on, people is a pop song. I really liked it. You know what? I'm a sucker for uh, a great three minute pop song. I really like that. I love the next song, which. La 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 oh, la, yeah, yeah. la la la. It is a very Jackson Five like song. That's what it reminded me of. But it is of, yeah. so infectious, and I loved it. I don't know why it was the hit single because it does sound exactly like the Jackson Five, except with a little bit of a Jamaican accent to it. And uh, I love I love all and out pop songs like that. I have to admit, when a pop song like that is done right, ah, oh, it's just like. La, la, la. And it's cool because he goes into this part where he's singing, he says, I can't live without you. And then it goes, and then it, you think he's going into maybe another verse, but then he goes into la, 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 la. And it's just so infectious. <laughs> it was the right amount of sugar and bubblegum. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then he ends it with a song I really like, a song he, again, he wrote called Going Back, Going Back West. West. The only one where uh, I found even uh, a hint of reggae on the other side. Yes, the because, have and it's not it. even, you know, because the instrumentation really isn't reggae. No, it's Jimmy not. Cliff is playing the guitar and he's pretty much singing most of the song with some gentle backing. It's his voice, the uh, the rhythm of his voice yes. which lends it. And I think uh, the bass kind of uh, follows the, uh, the, the... There the is no guitar. doubt it is the most reggae but song, which is not saying is, on the second yeah, side. You because, have to struggle to hear the reggae in it. Yeah, so. <laughs> you do. But you do recognize that it's definitely more reggae than the other four songs on the album because the other four but songs have no reggae in them whatsoever on that side funny feel but it's it's a great song about somebody telling him to to go east and i can do so much for you if you come out here and then he says uh and you can tell it's almost it's almost autobiographical he goes no i'm going back west because that's west as in jamaica that's where my that's where my people are that's where my people love me and i can make a living doing it i i just really like it wasn't a great song but it was it was a good song. I could say that for most of this. I, I, there are a lot of good songs, none that really put me over and said, "Wow!" Like a song like "Many Rivers to Cross," which so close to coming into my top thirty, you wouldn't believe. I love "Many Rivers to Cross" by any artist who does it. Uh, Jimmy Cliff, who does it in "The Harder They Fall." And uh, I know Harry Nielsen, of course, anything by Harry Nielsen I love, but he does a version of Many Rivers to Cross. It just, it just breaks your heart. There's none of those type of songs on here, but it's, it's, it's a very good album to me. It's got some really good songs. It's got a couple of clunkers, but I don't know. There's something about the production, too. That, like There's a little bit of a wall of sound with the music that doesn't quite stand out on some of the songs. A little bit of nitpicking, but that's what we have to do. But the production was a little bit um, muted. Yeah. in um, None of the strong force of, of music that you hear with Bob Marley and Peter Tosh. Very much Jimmy Cliff's voice. And then there's kind of some... A, a wall of sound in the back of him playing. I'm wondering if it's not a bit like you remember when we were reviewing the albums uh, or the bands had like uh, lost a member and uh, continued and did another album afterwards and it sounded like there was a thing missing from it. Yes. In losing his producer, there was a thing missing from his sound, an important thing. I totally agree. I think I think if he would have got another producer uh, and re to replace Leslie Kong, I think I think this could have been. Uh, lifted these songs a little bit more. There is such a dullness to the music as far as it, there's nothing that stands out except for like Struggling Man, which has the horns, which are really good. But now we're getting into like, oh, this one has a little bit of this, <laughs> but mostly all of it, it really sounds kind of dull. It really sounds so much in the background. And that's the thing that I think I take away from this album the most. Songwriting's good. Songwriting's good. Songwriting, like the, the, the singing, of course, with Jimmy Cliff is excellent. But I think the dullness of the musicianship, which we pointed out in the previous two albums with Peter Tosh and Bob Marley, were the high points of the record, along with the songwriting, was the incredible musicianship and how upfront it was. And this is the one thing that draws this album back. Yeah, I mean, and it was played well, I thought, but it was kind of uh, not mixed, uh, not to put in the right uh, volume. Yes, I agree with yeah. that. That's what yes. I was actually trying to say. <clears throat> it didn't seem like he wanted to push that volume of the backing instruments up a little bit, but of course you can't. You're listening to it. 
But that's what I felt like. I felt like I was behind the board saying, can we put the band up a little bit? You know, because they all yeah. sound like, they all just sound so low and the music. You can have a really mix. good band. And if you got someone who um, uh, knows how to get those sound levels, uh, can listen to them and say, this should be here, this should be here. And a lot, a lot of times you get people who, uh, who don't know how to do that. And that's why, uh, that's why uh, we're saying maybe a, a, a producer would have been better on this, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be generous. I'm gonna give it three and a half, and that, that's nothing. There's nothing wrong with three and a half. Three and a half is very good, but it's not an excellent record, I don't think. But it is a very good record. I was gonna give it three at the beginning because I thought it was a good record. Three again is no is no smirch on a record. Three stars means good, and it's very hard to make a good record in any decade playing any type of music. But um, Jimmy Cliff is Jimmy Cliff, and I'm going to give him three and a half. Sounds like a transitional record. I think, again, hurt by the mishmash of using previous songs from a couple of years before and using half the album from songs that he just done. Does sound a little bit like a mishmash. Um, uh, so yeah, I give it I give it a three and a half uh, reggae music. I don't even know if reggae people because it does have one album, one side that's not even reggae at all hardly. But uh, if you like Jimmy Cliff, I do think you'll like this record. But uh, and I think if you not actually if you're not a big reggae fan, but you like just you know uh, great singing by black artists as, as far as soul yeah. and R&B, you would probably like this record too. It, it just left me, I'm afraid it left me a little bit cold uh, in some places, not in other places. But overall, I just get this, oh, it could have been more. Yeah, I liked it, um, but uh, I didn't like it enough for any, um, um, uh, a second play. I know if I, if I like a record, I, uh, at least one time during the week, I'll play it. Then I'll, I got to hear that, uh, that thing again for some reason. But uh, I got that. I got that with Bob Marley and Peter Tosh. Something else. Did you get that with Bob Marley and Peter? Because I did with Bob Marley and Peter Tosh. I wanted to listen to those records again. I did. uh, Yeah, Bob Marley. I did. I definitely Mm -hmm. uh, did uh, do a double play. Peter Tosh. I didn't. Mm -hmm. You didn't feel like you really wanted to. It didn't. It didn't propulse you into saying I really want to listen to that record again. No, it didn't. Yeah. And I was about a three and a half on this one first, uh, or as well, because. yeah, I, I, I was thinking, you know, uh, four, but like I say, the fact that it didn't uh, motivate me to, uh, well, let's do it again. I give it a three and a half. But, uh, all, uh, you know, some most just, of the parts were really good. I know, that's what bugs me. And that's why albums like this mystify me, because I hear an excellent album. I can hear it. It but it wasn't. Uh, but there were bad decisions <laughs> made. Certain background vocals that shouldn't have been. Certain length of times that shouldn't have exceeded that that amount. Like little things that are important that uh, a producer's job yes. is to to catch. We're not caught here. The band sounding a little dull. Maybe the wrong take was used. Maybe you should have put it up a little bit. All these little things make uh, 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 excellent songs into just very good songs into a very good album. But more was there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So do we both give really, it a three and a half? We both give it a three and a half. Like. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, you know, we that's what we do. We don't. We have no idea what the other person is going to say. And I know some people say you guys always agree. And it's like no. It's just that we have similar tastes a lot of the times. Yeah. And it comes out that way. Uh, we. Also, I a, never tell. The only time on I ever told Rob how I felt about an album beforehand was when I was going through a deep depression listening to the Carpenters. <laughs> and I didn't even tell him. I just yeah, said, I like, I I'm can't. going through a deep depression listening to the Carpenters. I, I think you also mentioned... Not the Carpenters. I'm sorry. I love the Carpenters. Uh, Captain Tio. Captain Tio. After yeah. three listens, uh, you said that was it. You said, I don't want to do the show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's not worth it. Look, it's not. I actually said I that. I can take the I 99 know. good shows we do of uh, songs that uh, music I like, but if we got to do one of a hundred like this, I know. screw it. I did. And you know what? People <laughs> may think, because I've told this 20 times probably on this show, people probably think I'm joking every time. I'm not. I actually said, like, if we had to review albums like this, it's not worth it. <laughs> and Rob said, 
which was the best advice. He said, just listen to something good. Listen to a Jethro right Tull. After. Listen to an album <laughs> where you love survive. the music after it or you're not going to survive. And he was right. And I was in a depression. This, listening to Captain Tennille, I'm not knocking him. If you like them, that's great. But I'm telling you, if you don't like a certain band or certain type of music, whatever it may be, and then you listen to it continually, it will put you in a very bad place. <laughs> you know, the, worst thing, the worst thing about what we're doing is, you know, in the back of your mind, you're always thinking, okay, well, you got to give it multiple listens just to see if, you know, you're really... Which is what I was experience. doing. <laughs> and it was killing me. And sometimes... No, you got it all on the first listen. <laughs> you got it, man. <laughs> listen, catch some fresh air and just realize whatever you have heard is all you need to hear. <laughs> maybe, maybe just put on like five minutes to make sure if you, you have any doubts, but don't go for me. And I gave that album a, not a good review, but I gave it a, a good review in, in the sense that I actually gave it a really thoughtful uh, review. It was one of my favorite reviews because I didn't actually knock the record all that much. I actually said that, you know, these songs are good for some people. I like this song, you know. You have to be objective. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard when you don't like a record, but you have to say, hey, for what they're doing, they actually succeeded on this song and they didn't succeed on that. I'm going to put my hatred aside right now. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do that with Greece because Greece was not a, a, about the music so much as about the cashing in and making people buy money for the sake of their own greedy pockets. Because the first side was great and the rest was just put together so that they could make two albums and and charge the 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 poor people uh double the money so that they could collect go went through the roof for a half a, for 20 minutes worth of good music wow. fuck off Greece <laughs> <laughs> not the movie but the soundtrack and uh that's all we really got off track after we finished with Jimmy Cliff oh we? sometimes <laughs> these reviews they make me so mad <laughs> that's all for today's show uh remember to listen next week for we will have our final album in our look at reggae music also next week Rob will prove he really doesn't know anything about reggae music by playing a reggae song on the bass. <laughs> and I will be standing on my head while doing it. And it'll be bad. It'll, I'm going to play it back. <laughs> and that way, the offbeat will be on the own beat. <laughs> so well, I can't wait for that. So uh, The devil's polka. Take care, everybody. And uh, remember, as always, stay safe. Just right or wrong.